0: welcome to talk to be well i'm your host dr robin henderson chief executive of behavioral health for providence oregon and chief clinical officer for work to be well here with me today to talk about mental health among low-income and minority communities are two high school students from our national student advisory council muhammad and kiana what a pleasure to have you here with me today i'm going to get rid of the uh usual standard information we have to do every time we do our podcast. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Okay, let's get started by having each of you introduce yourself, where you're from, and why this topic's important to you.
1: Uh, hello, my name is Mohammed Shadid. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and this topic's important to me because I'm a Muslim, I'm Middle Eastern, and um I guess mental health isn't um, prioritized enough in like the Middle Eastern um, and other um, Islamic ethnicities.
2: Hi, my name is Kiana. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. And I feel like mental health is important because it has such a large impact personally on myself and my communities. And I feel like it's something that is largely ignored when it comes to um, talking, make, creating conversations. So. That's something that I work to change
0: and help um, talk about. So why, you know, I know you've shared a little bit, uh, each of you, about why it's important to you, but why specifically with minority populations and is that, you know, in connection with with low-income communities or is that, are there two separate pieces? Break this down a little bit more for us.
1: Uh, for me personally, I know that in like most Middle Eastern cultures, mental health isn't prioritized. In fact, it's like even pushed away, I guess, from focusing on it, because like uh, how the, our parents' parents were raised is like, you have to be tough, you have to be stern, you're not supposed to focus on this stuff, there are more important things in life. So that's like a cultural background impact. Um, it can rely into low-income uh, communities, definitely, because in that situation, these people are also uh, struggle to be able to focus on uh, the issue of mental health as they have more pressing matters uh, to attend to.
2: Similar similar to what Mohammed said, I feel like um, some low-income family, low-income communities and uh, minority communities kind of intercept um, between each other when it comes to mental health. So there's uh, like a large stigma regarding mental health in um, BIPOC communities. And one thing that you see a lot is that most demographics in in more low income areas is among minority communities. So one thing you see is a lot of people who are among low income families who has trouble with regarding their mental health also is among, you know, is black or is um, Asian American. So that's something that has like, it's like a very much so challenge because there's a lot of stigma regarding mental health. Um, especially among cultural families. So I feel like there's such a big intersection when it comes between each other and that's creates even a bigger stigma, I should say.
0: Well, and I think that raises an interesting um, issue, especially when we're looking uh, at immigration and like first-generation families, especially first-generation families who may come into a lower-income community when they first arrive in the States, when they're just first getting settled, often those communities are based within one specific culture or another uh you know it's it's kind of how it how it works right and i wonder that 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 doesn't also have an impact have you seen a difference between like first generation and second or third generation families uh within different cultural communities
1: oh uh, 100% um like at religious gatherings or things you can see like three generations in one family and see like how a shift of mental health focuses in their daily life and how in between those two generations and how mental health has played um, a much larger factor into each of those generations and what they're doing to focus more on it. Um, like you can see how first, um, first generations in this country, they're like, they don't really know what to do because their parents and their grandparents didn't have to deal with, or they didn't deal with this stuff. They, they had mental health issues, but they didn't focus on how to deal with them. And how to approach them
2: and i agree the more i feel like when it comes to um first generations they're not very assimilated when it comes to speaking about their mental health um personally i don't didn't know anything about my mental health because i came from a solution background who doesn't even speak about mental health and doesn't even talk about and prioritize mental health and like depression anxiety so i feel like when you get further into generations the more mental health is accepted but when you see first generations they're kind of in between like the American culture where it's okay to talk about the mental health and it's encouraged that we speak about and prioritize our feelings while in another house in when we get home is something else you know it's more so on topics like did you do your schoolwork or make sure you do your make sure you get, get to college or you have to get a job to be successful, like it's those things that kind of impact our mental health. And you know, just to be in between that, it's kind of hard for us. It's like, what should we believe? You know. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Really quickly, adding on to what Kiana said, um, like w- when you know, parents immigrant parents come to this country, especially, they feel like that the lives of their kids are much easier than their previous lives back at home. So they think that they don't deserve to de- like focus on these issues of mental health and whatnot. And that they should be more grateful and just uh, be at ease and content with what they have.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's a bigger issue than than we think it is uh, in terms of you should be grateful to be here. You know, we had it. We had it much worse back home. Uh, and that kind of, I think, sets up that dynamic where it can actually exacerbate and make a mental health condition worse. Uh And I think that's one of the things that comes into play. Then, when you have somebody who's first or even second generation coming into the school system, with that dichotomy of of what's not accepted at home and what is accepted here, has to make it really difficult for somebody to get services, for for even to reach out for help. So, when you we're looking at these, you know, issues in relationship uh, to BIPOC communities and to low income communities, are the mental health issues then different because of some of the factors we've talked about, are they different? And if so, how?
2: I feel like while there is similarities, there's obviously this differences. So um, a large thing that you have to think about is like, what is the factor of their mental health? What is impacting their mental health? And I feel like it's different between BIPOC community, um, BIPOC communities and those who are, under low income, while some may have experienced both, for sure. I feel like um, they definitely impact each other, And but they are different. For example, in low income areas, you know, someone can develop depression over financial troubles. You know the worry of what am i eating next the idea that you know they have to constantly make money and it const like the idea of bills stressors while BIPOC communities it could be racial trauma it could be um topics on racism in america it could be anything from feeling comfortable insecurity colorism so when you speak on mental health you know there's definitely impacts that can be different from each other but i i Um, putting back from what I talked about before, they intersect each other, because people can experience both the best
1: worlds. Uh, Kiana brought up some great points. I also think that for like more privileged communities, it is a privilege for them to be able to like focus on their mental health problems and approach solutions to it. For low low income communities or um, minorities, it, they may not have that privilege. They might not have access to resources to it. They may not have enough money for therapy. They they don't even know like where to start um, because of like g- their generations before them, racial trauma as Kiana said and several other factors just, which just deter them um from even like thinking of the prospect of oh I can I can do this to help better my mental health. And that they, they have to focus on like other like realistic things that are more important in their life such as food, education, um, shelter, all that stuff.
0: The idea that mental health is a privilege, and and in essence, it it does become a privilege at that point, uh, especially for individuals living in low income settings, because you're dealing first with the basics of housing, food insecurity, and all the other types of things you're dealing in a low income situation. Dealing with your mental health at that point would be a privilege, um, and and that I think has to probably exacerbate with some of the issues that you all have already talked about within BIPOC communities where it's just not talked about. It's just not. It's not a thing. And that doesn't even get us to the point of equal access to mental health resources. Communities of privilege seem to have better access to mental health resources, especially more culturally appropriate mental health resources. Uh, do you think that people have equal access to mental health resources?
1: Um, pro- definitely not. Uh, even if it's not from the side of the people looking for re- uh, resources, people offering the resources to might not be inclined to help, uh, to offer their services to those in low income communities or mental health, because that they know, they probably know that they won't um, pay as much, uh, they won't be like worth their time as they may say. Yeah. So that also falls into like racism, um, stigmatization of these communities and the low mental health um, or low income communities as well.
2: Yeah, and adding on to what Muhammad said, I feel like mental health, uh, my- there's resources are better acclimated towards privileged areas than it is during um, to low-income areas and minority um, communities because they don't cater necessarily to those those um, that gap. So in bipoc communities the trouble is finding resources that you know can handle um, topics such as racism, um, race in general, and especially culture, um what we were saying before when it comes to first generation families um that's things that we people have to take the extra mile to find so it's beyond topics and topics such as it's beyond topics such as anxiety and regular and depression you know and i feel like another thing that can be a distractor when it comes to low-income families trying to find mental health resources is also financial Um, financial resources is, can I afford this? Do I have time for this? And I feel like that's such a strong factor that prevents people from getting help that they need. It's because simply they don't have that money. I feel like in low income areas, one thing that you see is that they don't have the financial resources to basically get the help that they need. And mental health resources doesn't cater to this idea that people don't have money and um, insurance also So I feel like while privileged areas do have more mental health resources, it's not only because of the idea that it can't cater to, it does cater to them more, but also because um, people have that money to get it. So yeah.
0: Well, it's not just money, it's also time. And time. And and I think that's one of the, the factors that we don't think about. But one of the things that I wonder about you're both BIPOC individuals. Does it make a difference to you to see someone um, dealing with their mental health issues or someone who can help you with your mental health issues, who looks like you, who understands where you've been, where you've come from? Does that matter? And will that matter to people actually getting help to begin with?
1: I feel like that's a huge source of inspiration. If you see someone that looks like yourself is um, advocating uh, and helping others in the mental health field because they know what you've been through. They can offer paths um, to help you get from where you are to a better state. They can give tips, advice, um, how to interact with other people of your um, ethnicity or race um, and how to like deal with them and what you can say to them to help others in the same state because most of the time people in those ethnicities or backgrounds, they don't want to admit when they have um, mental health problems. Cause like, no, I have to conform to the standard that generations have upheld for years and years they are a huge source of inspiration and optimism for the future to show that hopefully more people will be able to admit to when they have problems and then they'll be able to overcome them and end up helping others too in the future.
2: Personally, I feel like I felt more comfortable being around someone who looked like me when it came to mental health resources. So when I was searching out for a therapist, I tried my hardest to find a block therapist just because you know I've been in the my mi- in a minority dominated area for my whole life you know my family solution and I feel like it would be almost challenging to try to find someone who will speak to me and try to control it. my anxiety with that is from a different culture than me because a lot of the things that impact my mental health is, surrounded by race somehow, some way, whether it's the fact, the factor of my parents, who, um, who's from a different culture than me. So we don't always get along to the idea that the idea of finance and how I don't really have the resources that everyone around me has. I feel like if I try to talk to someone who didn't understand that, who didn't have some connections that I would be More challenging to me and will be even a stressor somehow. So, I think that's the same factor that people have in mind when they are looking for mental health resources. Do they understand and do they get what I'm trying to say? So, that question always lingers in my mind. So, I feel like it definitely matters. And I'm that's always going to be a factor. And that's something I'm always going to take with me when I continue to search for mental health resources.
0: You know, it's so interesting because it's it's such a complicated issue. When you're looking at culturally appropriate mental health services, Um, it starts all the way back at the education system and how we encourage people to pursue. um, You know, it's hard enough to get people in general to go after a career in mental health, but then when you add into that going after a career in mental health, if you're coming from a BIPOC background generally speaking, you don't have the type of intergenerational wealth that other communities have that have built up a college savings fund. Because fun fact, mental health professionals don't make a whole lot of money, but they do get a whole lot of student loans along the way. And traditionally, student loan reimbursement programs have ignored the mental health community. They're very targeted at physical health providers and, and providing reimbursement and institutions will pay for, you know, you want to get a nursing degree. Oh, heck, we'll pay for that. Hospitals will pay for that all along. But people in the mental health field only recently have begun receiving really adequate tuition reimbursement. It started in just what we call health professional shortage areas, rural America. Well, most BIPOC individuals don't live in rural America. They live in urban America, right? Right. And you both live in, in pretty urban areas. And, and the it, it's a, such an interesting dynamic that's created then the lack of individuals choosing to go into mental health to begin with. So it takes really an extraordinary person to overcome all of those barriers and go into and be willing to fight in the system just to get BIPOC therapists into the stream. So... When we're looking at some of the other barriers that stop people, particularly people in poverty, I know you talked a lot about money. I know for me, I think a lot about time. Often people who are living in poverty are working in jobs that don't have a traditional nine to five. Uh, They may work different shifts. They may have different time availability, and it may be more difficult for them to get to um, different types of resources. And they even know what types of resources there are available. Are there other factors in your mind that impact uh, being able to access mental health resources that especially hit at low-income communities?
1: I guess like the lack of importance that this issue poses for them, like compared to other aspects of their lives, which we already to alluded to, and then also like how other like providers that they'll realize that they're in poverty, they, they won't give them like their full services. They won't give 100% okay. to them they'll like be kind of lackluster with them, brush them off. Uh, I'd say another uh, barrier is just like how others would react to them um, in like their same community. They'd like push them away from doing it. They'd make fun of them. They'd be like, you're wasting your time with this. Uh, why are you doing this? Would you do something else to help make you make more money to help your family so-and-so? So they'd be discouraged from, their, from close friends, maybe even their family members too.
2: Yeah, I definitely think priorities is like a large factor. Um, People are trying to prioritize what is important and the mental health comes last because they have to look at how they're they're going, like the simple things of life, especially when it comes to providers too. Do they help those who are financially challenged or do they try to make the most money as possible? Um, It doesn't. Mental health providers don't make that much. So imagine trying to go into an area that is especially um, super underfunded. That's going to be challenging as a mental health provider. So they may attract more privileged and urban areas than, you know, the more financially challenged areas. So we have to look at that as a factor too. So When it comes to looking for resources i feel like it's such a challenging aspect what we what we talked about before is do do i think it's important enough and then who do i go to when it comes to starting to look for mental health resources so that could also be something that is a factor to them that is a barrier
1: Uh, so, Dr. Robin, what do you think are the resources that are currently available for low-income individuals in need of mental health support?
0: You know, when I, when I think about it, and, and again, I'm from Oregon, and you all are from, from the East Coast, but we all have one thing in common, and that's called Medicaid. And every state, you know, the Fed puts out Medicaid. That's, generally speaking, the insurance that we have for low-income individuals. But every state has the ability to use it differently. And how we use it in Oregon is different than how you use it in Maryland and different than how you use it in Pennsylvania. So primarily, there are some basics that are the same across the country, though. First of all, Medicaid tends to be funded through the community mental health system. And the community mental health system, every county, every region has a community mental health program. It's a federally recognized and funded thing that has resources for low-income people. But much to some of the points that you've brought up those resources are very limited often are not culturally responsive or appropriate and often don't even have necessarily the most qualified people providing services to you know to to people this is what we use as a training ground this is where students go to learn and so we kind of use the low-income system especially in oregon here we use the the medicaid poverty system to train new therapists So you have people who really need significant help, and they're seeing a therapist that may only be there for three to four weeks on a rotation. There's a lot of turnover in these clinics. And so you may, and I've heard this a lot, you may go through three and four therapists in a six-month period. And that's really difficult because every time you go and you sit down with somebody, you've got to tell your whole story all over again. And that's really frustrating. So I think the path for how we look at low-income mental health and how we look at especially in BIPOC communities, that path has got to start changing. And I've been really impressed uh, with the work of places like the Trevor Project, which while not not necessarily focusing on BIPOC communities, although they do have BIPOC resources, has really focused in on LGBTQ plus communities and, and prioritizing the mental health resources for those communities. NAMI, has uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, has a lot of free support services and in many more urban communities are developing more culturally culturally responsive services in larger areas that support families who have youth who are dealing with, with mental health conditions or young adults who are dealing with mental health conditions. But really, when we're looking in um, the low income poverty level, it's going to come down to Medicaid the nice part about this, though, is that part of the physical health system in the in the Medicaid world is run by federally qualified health, um, health centers. Uh, what we call FQHCs, they're primary care clinics, specially designed for low-income populations. They're very prevalent in urban areas. And it's becoming very much a thing for these centers to have mental health providers in them. They get reimbursed for it at a higher rate. It's part of wrapping a clinical treatment team around somebody. And that's been a really great place to go. By the same token, one of the other really cool innovations is that many communities, Oregon included, uh, I think there's maybe every state in the union now at this point, has what are called community um, behavioral health centers, which are like a federally qualified health center flipped. So they provide primarily mental health services, but you can also get your physical health services there. The other really cool thing, though, and I think probably the thing that gives me the most hope, and this is going to sound really strange, but coming out of the pandemic, one of the biggest things that we learned was that we could provide mental health services just the way we're talking right now, right? We're doing it through StreamYard. We could do it through Zoom. We could do it through a variety of other things. But I can see you and I can talk with you and I can meet with you. And there may not be a Muslim therapist in your community, Muhammad, but there might be one actually in Philadelphia. And you could see someone via Zoom who's more likely to be culturally specific to you outside of your own community. And that's a game changer. Those are the things that, that not only did it break down the barriers for people to be able to see people who are more culturally appropriate, more relatable, more in touch with, with what it is that you need but you could see them in the time that you needed to. When the pandemic first started, um, we had to flip a lot of our services online. And one of the biggest things that shifted was no show stopped. People were able to get to therapy on time because it was you know right here on their phone and they had their phone with them all the time. So it really broke down huge barriers. And I think we're seeing that now as we're pulling this through in the Medicaid population that people, you know, phones are more endemic than clean water. It's a scary thought to think about the fact that phones are more endemic than clean water. But phones are more endemic in populations than than things, even those most basic of needs. And if we can begin bringing people and acculturating people to the idea that you can get your mental health services this way and it will work, I think we're going to be able to get more services to more people and get the right services to people at the right time when they need it. That's at least where I see us going. Um, That's what I'm hoping for. But I'm wondering also if you two were to have a magic wand and you could wave a magic wand, how would you change the system to meet the needs of not only yourselves, but your communities?
1: I think to like target each culture, I guess, um, and like what their beliefs is. um, People like from that culture, like such as myself and Kiana. Uh, we can like educate them about what how, what mental health means and how it's okay to ask for them and how it's not healthy to like uh, keep all that stuff to yourself and to ignore all these concerns. Um, also to promote seeing utilizing mental health resources, proving um, the ones that are more available and ready and don't need to be so cost-effective, time-effective, um, such as apps that you can use that can connect you with therapists within seconds, which are much more cost-efficient and time-efficient uh, than um, actually getting an appointment and seeing one. Um, and then just also just being more, um, trying to be more open-minded towards new things. That's a huge systematic change, is that people would be more open, open-minded open to trying new things.
2: I would probably increase funding for mental health resources significantly in, in Maryland, probably, um, especially now as uh, mental health is something that's really declining as people are, are coming out of the pandemic and trying to adapt to normalcy Mm -hmm. also um i will uh, i hope my wand will be powerful enough to like make stigma around mental health disappear like magic because i feel like the conversations i have with people on why they need to focus on their mental health is so disappointed because they take every other thing more important than their mental health and their idea of, am I okay? That whole question, they will go, they will f- kind of like shoot off that question every single time with any excuse, just so they don't take their themselves uh, to their account. So I feel like that's something that I would do. Also legislative change, um, get more, more systematic changes such as mental health days in schools and in the workplace. I feel like that's some priority. And even though, while I talk about it a lot in schools, the workplace is also very important. Um, People should have the excuse to take a day off if they need to. Um, Definitely uh, more mental health resources in communities and targeting BIPOC individuals, especially. And I feel like that's it, but definitely just people accepting mental health as a factor in their lives more. So, yeah.
0: Well, I think you both have gone a long way towards shedding a light on this issue for your communities and for people, um, young people especially, who are struggling with mental health issues and may not feel comfortable having that conversation within their community because they don't see people. I mean, one of the best things I think that we've seen come out Uh, also in the pandemic, is more celebrity influencers who are willing to talk about their mental health issues or their mental health conditions. That's becoming more of a thing. And I think we see a lot of BIPOC individuals uh, who are celebrity influencers talking about their mental health concerns. And I do think that makes a difference. And I think it makes a difference when people like you, who are also influencers uh, in your communities and through this podcast, when you speak up and say something too. So I really want to thank you both. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today on Talk To Be Well, and being open to talking about mental health and in low income and minority communities. Thank you so much, Mohammed and Kiana, for sharing your wisdom, sharing your experiences, and sharing about your communities. If you're looking for support with your mental health or any other medical questions, please visit us at providence.org. And for parents, teachers, and students, check us out at worktobewell.org. We've got some great curriculum just designed four BIPOC communities for mental health resources. So please, that's wwwworkthenumber 2 bewellorg I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, and this is Talk to Be Well. Be well, everybody.